DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He joins us every week. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, the Pac-12 is having an unprecedented run of, well, not unprecedented, but unprecedented in the last couple of decades run of success here. UCLA's in Elite Eight for the first time since 2008. USC for the first time in like 20 years. Oregon State for the first time in 39 years. You got anything to attribute this to? It's a crazy year. It's the pandemic. It's the NCAA tournament and anything can happen. You got a reason? You got a trend? You know, I think one of the things that uh, all the unknowns with COVID and missing games and teams and what we normally would see a continuous season, you see a continuity that you could understand. Guys are out, guys are hurt, you know, what? but there, there has been no rhyme or reason for a lot of the things that have happened where, you know, a college team can play 24 games and another one played 15. And so I think you have to attribute some of it to the unknowns and really all of the experts, you know, ranking <clears throat> the Pac-12 as uh, not having a real great year. And, and I don't think we knew all the circumstances. And the other thing is that sometimes younger teams, younger players get better. And I think it's a combination of kind of both of those things. But, but certainly you've got really, really good coaches that uh, – have gotten their guys ready to play. I've watched these teams play more in the NCAA tournament than I did during the, the, the conference season. So uh, what I've seen is, you know, teams that defend, which is critical to winning in the, in the NCAA tournament. And uh, when you start looking at, you know, the Mobley brothers at, US, at, <clears throat> excuse me, at USC, you look at UCLA, who we all kind of saw up close and personal playing against BYU. Uh, and then Oregon State, I think a lot of people knew they were pretty good uh, going into the season, but probably are the biggest surprise. But all well coached, and but I just think a lot of it's just all the unknowns, where all the data, all the analytics, you can kind of throw it out the window right now. Hey, the tr- the truth is they got <clears throat> excuse me Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor. Uh, they got three of the four top seeds in, still playing, and probably will all be in the final four. But. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy thing. Good for the Pac-12, and uh, they they've kind of resurrected themselves and uh, uh, have, have kind of changed the image of that league. And no better place to do it than getting to the fi- getting to the final eight. So we saw over the weekend that Utah hired Craig Smith, and he comes down from Logan. Expectations are high. I think you've been where Craig Smith has been, and you've been there twice. You were a glutton for punishment. I was thinking about this the other day. You took off our two programs. <laughs> Nobody said that I were, was very smart. Yeah, he took off our two programs that were way down, and actually neither program, well, Utah's program, I should say, was not as down as much as the programs that you took over. So I, I identify you and Larry Kostobiak as being in a similar situation. When Larry took over 10 years ago, the program was awful. Obviously, at BYU, when you took over, the program is awful. If Craig Smith were to call you and said, Steve, help me out here. Give me some advice on how to go about rebuilding this program. And they're not dealing from a position of complete and total bottom like you were but nevertheless expectations i think are higher than when you and larry took over because craig smith is expected to win immediately what would you tell him well first of all just from what i do know about him and watching him i never have ever had a personal conversation with him 
but he already understands the really important things, uh, how important that locker room is, how important chemistry is, how important the work ethic is, and, and just the, the culture of that program. And so <clears throat> that's going to come pretty quickly and naturally to him because that's who he is. And, and from what I understand, he's a great motivator and a real positive person. I think that the most important thing is reconciling, uh, you know, short-term needs with long-term goals. <laughs> and I think you get in a position sometimes as we reconcile those short-term needs, we, we have a tendency to maybe be a little bit impatient sometimes and we'll make a mistake or two. And, you know, my, my, my thinking to him would be, hey, be patient here. Obviously, the transfer portal is, uh, is kind of a source of quicker fixes and guys are available, people you've actually seen play at other schools. So the transfer portal is something that immediately they have to take a look at, but he can't compromise who he is and what his program is about and take at-risk kids. I mean, I don't, I don't see them doing that, but I, I would say this, that be patient with reconciling those needs of the fans and everybody wants to be good now uh, and understand that the long-term goals are what really matters. And the sooner they can get back to the NC2A tournament, you know, the happier the fan base will be and the administration and everybody else. I, I did. So does Tim Allen, did he have a year left and go into the portal? Yeah, he does. He, okay. he does have a year left. He, he, uh, uh, he took that one-time peak at the NBA that you get. He took that okay. a year ago. Okay. So, so you know, I mean, I, I want to have a conversation with him. Obviously, he, he's, uh, he's a leader in that program, and even though the, there'll be changes and things will be done differently – I mean, that's somebody close by, and he may have want nothing to do with it, but I know that uh, he had a great relationship with Coach Kostowiak, and so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I think the transfer portal, obviously, is something you look at immediately, but you also look at the long-term needs. He, he understands the, the face of athletics in Utah and uh, outside. He's lived outside the state. I'm not, I can't remember if he was at South Dakota or North Dakota. I think it was South Dakota, South. wasn't it? It was South. That he came from, yeah. And... Uh, so he's been around. He, he understands the game. He knows how to develop players and, and, and take teams to the NC2A tournament. The key for him is getting players. And uh, I, I just don't – sometimes you take, take a guy, take an at-risk guy, and, and you think you've gone one step forward, but in all, when it's all said and done, you know, come next fall, you maybe take two steps back. So you've got to be careful in your recruiting and making sure that you get the kind of person that fits in your program and that wants to be there. Uh, it's not easy, but the portal does make it a lot easier than it was five, ten years ago. So um, just, you know, you're constantly <clears throat> dealing with short-term needs and the fan base, but you got to look at the long-term and know that uh, everyone will be just fine, uh, you know, a year or two from now when they're in the tournament and you do it the right way. So Utah State has an open job now with uh, Craig Smith going to Utah. And Craig Smith worked for Tim Miles twice as an assistant and a third time as a director of operations, and then he got promoted to assistant then. So the, at Mayville State, and then he took a head coaching job in the NIA, got back with him at North Dakota State, took the head coaching job at Mayville State, got back with him at, at Colorado State. Um, and they may have been together in Nebraska, too. So they've got, they've got a long track record together here. I'm assuming he's going to push Tim 
for the uh, Utah State job because Tim Miles has been out since uh, it, it went south at Nebraska. So you know how it tends to work with coaches and their relationships with each other and with ADs. Should Aggie fans be looking at Tim Miles and focusing on him? Well, not having any idea what Tim Miles is thinking. Uh, I mean, would he be a good fit there? You know, he's he's a really good coach. He's got a pedigree. He's got experience. Uh, he's good friends with a guy that just left. So everything he needs to know about that program, he's going to have an open book. And so that transition might be pretty smooth, but I, you know, I have really no idea. I'm sure there are a lot of really, really quality candidates that are going to want to be involved in that job. But if you're asking me if that, that inside track and that previous relationship would benefit, you know, coach miles, I would say, yeah, it probably does. Uh, I, I'm assuming too, that Utah state has to be really grateful for everything that coach Smith did. Uh, and, uh, you know, continued on, the, you know, the proud tradition at Utah State University. They just had uh, great success there. So I would think that his word would mean something with the athletic director, at least for an interview. But whether or not that, you know, his relationship with Tim Miles uh, gets him, a, you know, gets him a job, I don't know. Because I'm just talking about people I don't have a relationship with, and I don't have an inside scoop. But certainly, the fact that the two of them are so close would seem to me that if that's a job that Tim Miles is interested in he's probably going to get at least an interview or get an opportunity to talk to the AD. What do you, th- what do you think about some of these jobs that, like Utah State, in terms of trying to hire somebody who has a connection and maybe you can hang on to them? Because you look at it, these programs like Utah State, they're bringing these guys from the outside at the athletic director level and – coaching and it seems like when they have success they take off and they brought in Stu Morrill and he had a he was a Provo kid and he talked about how his mother lived in state and he stayed there a long while and had a lot of success uh, is it something that maybe you should look at to see if you can maintain it because Craig Smith comes in does a whale of a job but then is out the door three years later although on the flip side you look at football Gary Anderson was a Utah guy he left and then Matt Wells played at Utah State, and he left. Is it just the lay of the land for schools like Utah State that that's the way it's going yeah, to be? I, I, th- I think the environment's changed. I mean, you know, when you start talking about Stu Morrill, you know, you're talking about one of the greatest coaches that ever coached in the state of Utah. And the fact that he did it consistently the right way for a long time. I think uh, that's not going to be the norm uh, in the world we live in today. Um, there are just opportunities all the time. Coaching changes much more frequent than they used to be. Expectations. Um, I, I just, I just think you know. It, I think mean, I think Coach Smith leaving Utah State to go to Utah, and that was a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a harder job. There's going to be more scrutiny. There, there, the, the, the magnifying glass is going to be heightened there. Everything you do will be much more visible than it was up in Logan, where there's very little media up there other than you know the, the, those that follow you and they had success and there's been a lot of success there for a long time. So there is expectations in the, in the Logan community to have good teams. But I, I think you just have to expect in this world, uh, when it, and whether it's money or exposure or the next step that helps me get somewhere else, it's just the nature of where we're at these days. And uh, you're not going to see guys very often spend 20 or 25 years at a place. Number one, the scrutiny that comes, it's hard to keep a job that long anyway because eventually there's a year or two that uh, 
you don't have goodwill, and ADs change as well. So there's no guarantees, but I think certainly in today's world, coaches are more likely to take a look at, and you know, you can set yourself financially up for life and uh, go to a, a, a P5 conference and have an opportunity to win a national championship. Those are things that sometimes you can't do at the mid-level. And uh, so I, I just don't see that changing. I think that, uh, you know, you look at Stu, you look at Dave. Dave was there a long time, eight with me and 14. I mean, those are, I think, more aberrations today than just there's just a lot more turnover for a lot of different reasons. And some of it is money. A lot of it's just an opportunity to coach at a higher level and have a chance to compete for a national championship. You've known PK a long time, and you know how he can turn a phrase and just hit on one or two key words and get a massive reaction. You've seen that firsthand. So are you ready for what he put on our Facebook page? Are you ready for this? You're, you're going to enjoy this. You're already laughing in anticipation. He, he posts this. Add Doc Rivers, who said the Clippers and Lakers are the teams to beat in the West, to the list of those doubting us. What's with these people? Would you like to take a stab at answering that that loaded that loaded question? You're gonna put the Clippers well, in there. You got to put the Jazz in, don't you? Absolutely. L- listen, I I'm uh, you know I started looking. I was just looking at the Jazz, uh, and and I don't get a chance. I'm, I'm most of the Jazz tape I'm watching is from uh, games that have been taped, or you know I'm seeing highlights, and and then there's a, they have a few national games. But I'm just thinking, here, here a team sits at 30, 34-11. I'm looking at this week, they got the Cavs at home. They go to Memphis, which will not be easy. I mean, that Memphis at home is going to be tough. Bulls at home, the Magic at home. I mean, there's a good chance they're going to be 38-11 and 11 and, and, and really put themselves in the driver's seat to win that whole conference and, and still comments are being made like that. And, and, and I get it that if, you know, you, everybody gets healthy uh, – I, I can see that with L.A. specifically because they did win the championship last year and they are playing without the two best players. But, you know, the guys that have been showing up on the floor, they haven't been great. I mean, you, they've really been exposed. I think getting Drummond is probably a good get. They need somebody at the rim. And But why in the world do we continue to – I mean, I know because of Kawhi and Paul, but all the things that went on last year – and the Clippers have been okay this year. You know, they're not great. But to put them even in the, 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 that same category, maybe because Doc coached there and he knows they're really talented. But uh, it, it's kind of – you just have to kind of look at what's happened. And I know there isn't a lot of faith in this Utah team, but I'm telling you what, it's hard not to look at this thing and go, okay, they're, they're, they may win – you know, they win in 55 to 60 games. They're going to win this thing. They're going to have home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, and, and, and really, the, the Lakers are going to continue to lose more games until they get really healthy. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. And I don't get it either. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. But that's kind of the, the mentality of the big city. And I think Doc being a Clippers fan, maybe he's, setting, he's trying to set the Clippers up again <laughs> so that they can have another massive failure. But... I do believe the Clippers are better. I think they're in a different place, but uh, I still, I'm still not sold on them being some, you know, at this point in time, the way I've watched them play. And we, I get to see a lot of their games here because it's more local. Uh, I, 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 it's just too up and down still for me. Despite the fact that you got talent, uh, I, they still play without a point guard. And 
they don't really have a guy inside that can, can, can really get things done. So I think it's almost too late to make changes now. I'm not sure that anybody's out there that can really help them. They're, they're going to be who they are. But those are two weaknesses that I think. I think the, the lack of a point guard for the Clippers it, uh, would be the reason that they don't finish this thing strong, I think, is, is the number one thing that's, uh, that's troubling that team, is getting somebody to run that team who can knock a shot down from the perimeter and, uh, and run that show. But I don't, see that. I don't see that guy showing up. So not, not to say that the Clippers couldn't, couldn't win the thing. They could, but to not include Utah is a huge smack in the face. So as a coach, do you think Quinn Snyder is even bothering with that outside crap and not even worrying about oh, the, what, what this was said, what wasn't said, and all that stuff? Because they got a good thing going on. It seems to me they should just tune that out. Well, he's never gonna see, we're never going to hear him say anything publicly for sure. Okay. Right. Uh, right. Maybe if, maybe from Donovan or someone else, you know, a, a player. But uh, you, you'd be crazy. You think those things aren't being talked about, you know? And I mean, that is a, a great motivator. And you don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But I promise you, there have been there have been conversations. I'm sure on buses and planes where there, uh, you know, things have been said that it's just an extra motivation. And the fact is, the world needs to need to understand that. This is a really, really good team. Offensively, they are just so solid, can beat you so many different ways. Defensively, they're connected. Uh, this is a good basketball team. You, you just, you know, you don't win 55 or 60 games, whatever they're going to end up, and not be a really good team. They're well coached, but I, I, I don't know if it has more to do with the community and it's not a big city. It's not a marquee name. I don't know what the circumstances are. Utah has always kind of lived in the shadows of, of the big city and the big markets. But uh, they, they've got an, a really, really unique opportunity here because every time they win, they get a little bit better. And this is a team that's connected all over the place, on the floor, off the floor, while a lot of teams are still trying to figure out who's going to be healthy and who's going to play. And that's the advantage that they have. I don't see this Utah team from the top to the very bottom it, overestimating you know, any, any opponent they play. It, it, taking anybody for granted. This is a mature group of young men and great coaches that uh, understand the game, and uh, they're going to. I mean, there is no way they don't win the West. They're going to win. The, they're going to win that conference, be in a home court situation, and then they're going to have to play. I mean, that's that's true. I mean, until you've done it, you're going to always have kind of the wrath of the media and other coaches and other people saying, "Well, they've, they've got to get it done here." Well, what they are doing right now is really special. And they, they're doing what they have to do to win an NBA title. They're going to put themselves in a situation where they've got home court advantage throughout the playoffs. That's going to be an important thing. And I would think by the time we start playing the NBA finals that we'll have even more fans in the, in the, and there'll be a, home, a significant home court advantage. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think those things are still talked about, not publicly, but that, that's a big sign of disrespect. So I am. I, I think you're just 100% on track here, Steve, with Doc Rivers. Who knows what agenda he had lumping the Clippers with the Lakers. Maybe it's to put more pressure on him. Maybe it's because he's got relationships with some people there and he's trying to be nice with them. You know, who knows, unless you're Doc's best friend and just the two of you in a room and Doc might wink at you or smile or whatever, you know. But set that aside. You've followed the Lakers for a long time, going back to when you were a fan before you were a coach. And LeBron's trying to do something here, and it's a little different, but he's trying to do something that Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson tried and failed at. 
Jordan came back from baseball and only played 17 games and got beat in the playoffs. Now, the guy went 25-1 and over a seven-year stretch of his career in postseason series. And the one loss is to Orlando the year he only played 17 regular season games. When you don't play a full season, it can be a problem even for Michael Jordan. Magic won the NBA title his first and third year in the league, but the second year... He tore up his knee, had arthroscopic surgery on some cartilage issue, and I think he played 37 games. And he got beat in the first round by Houston when they had those two or three miniseries things. Now LeBron's missing a lot of games in what's already a short season when they already turned over the roster and brought in guys like Schroeder, you know, and, and, and they've got uh, Montrez Harrell. they got some new guys, and they're not getting that many games together. And I think he's played 41, and who knows how many he'll play when he comes back. Maybe he'll get to 50. Maybe he'll get more than that. Is it going to be enough, or is this a serious reason to doubt LeBron, who among all the active players needs to be, you know, there needs to be the least doubt about this guy? But this was a problem for Jordan and Magic. Is it going to be a problem for LeBron? I, I, I think you're on to something there. And, and I've, I've been a supporter of LeBron since he's been in the league. And the fact that he went to a, you know, a franchise that where I grew up in and, and followed, and I'm not. Uh, a, a huge fan of just one team anymore, but certainly I have Laker blood in me because I that was where I was born and followed, and, and my dad played at USC in baseball. And so, I mean, we're, we're kind of a Southern California family, even though we didn't live there a long time. And so I I think the thing that I'm, that I'm seeing here is that we don't know. They're talking about four to six weeks, which, you know, developing that chemistry, getting back on board. I think the thing that makes, you know, for me, that the two injuries are significant, but bringing Drummond in um, and, and being in the post, I, I, don't, I don't have a have a problem with that. But all of a sudden, your second leading scorer now is drifting on the perimeter and us in the outside. And I liked it when Davis played in the five. I thought they were better when he played in the five, and and now he could step out and pick and pop and do things. And and it was harder to guard. He always had a five garden. When he goes out. In the perimeter, if Drummond's inside and he's outside, now now he's taking jump shots and the contested jump shots. And it's not that he can't do that, but I think for the Lakers to be really good, LeBron has to be healthy and AD has to be able to play significant minutes inside as well as outside. Drummond comes that immediately pushes you know Davis outside where we settle more for jumpers and we settle for threes. He's not as good a rebounder from out there. That that if I'm a Laker fan. That's what kind of makes me nervous. Not to say that Drummond can't help because they do need a presence in there. And, and Gasol and, and uh, Harrell, I mean, well, he's more of a forward anyway, but they've been playing the post. So I think they improved themselves defensively there. But offensively, I don't know if there'll be the chemistry when AD's on the perimeter, roaming the perimeter. All of a sudden, something, he's a great rebounder when he's inside there. And, and he's a guy that is going to have a five guard in him rather than maybe a really quick four that can get into him and force him to put it on the floor. So I, uh, I, I am. I mean, I'd be concerned that they're going to miss this many games, that they're just going to jump back in and be the same team that they're going to be. Uh, though, as you said, uh, it's hard to doubt LeBron. I mean, he, he's got such a powerful mindset. If anybody could do it, he could. But I think that is a red flag for, uh, for the Lakers. There's no question about it. Steve, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, guys. Hey, can I make one 
comment before I finish today? Of course. I, I just wanted to get a little recognition for Coach Simon down at Southern Utah. A good friend of mine, John Wardenberg, works with him. But that's 20 years in, in the waiting for a conference championship. So congratulations to Southern Utah, to Coach Simon, Coach Wardenberg, and all those guys. Thanks for that little shout-out. All right, See there he is. Steve Cleveland. He joins us every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.